Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Not just a sports report today. I'm going to be jumping in to my preview and predictions for the UFC Columbus card, the first fight night card in the United States outside of the Apex for a couple of years now. It has been a long time, no doubt. The Columbus, Ohio crowd are going to be very fired up. I was fired up to see David Onama, and there are a few on this card that I'm keen to see, but unfortunately, David Onama's fight with Nate the Train Landwehr, that would have been one of the fights to watch this weekend. Unfortunately, that one's been scrapped, so I do hope we get to see that. Now, in the main event, last weekend we saw heavyweights go at it in a historic clash. What a card it was in London. I mean, nine performance bonuses handed out. Last weekend, it was the heavyweights Tom Aspinall and Alex Volkov. Now, this weekend, it's going to be USA, USA, USA. Uh, they'll definitely be chanting that. I'm sure the passionate Americans will be booing anyone from another country. But there was a bit of that in England. There's a bit of that everywhere, I suppose. But huge main event. I'm really keen to see what happens. Chris Dorcas was a prospect that I had on my radar. Now, when he went up against Derek Lewis, I thought that was a bit too much of a step up. But Curtis Blades is beatable. And it would definitely be the biggest win of Dorcas's career. And look, this fight is going to have a massive impact on the trajectory of both men's careers. Curtis Blades, not that far away from a title shot, but Francis Ngannou is still rehabbing that knee injury. So look, Ngannou, it's going to be a while before we see him. It's not the most, or it's a division with not a high level of activity in terms of title fights over quite a few years now. So look, it, maybe it's harder for these big boys to get up for these contests, but overall, like it's there aren't that many heavyweight title fights out there unless they go for no, another interim one. But Curtis Blades, right there in the conversation, along with guys like Aspinall, who's starting to work his way up, and Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa. I saw maybe they might be trying to do a UFC card in August in Australia. I really, really hope so with Tai Tuivasa in the main event. Look, I hope that's a reality, but I'll wait until there's an official announcement. Co-main event is going to feature some really talented women's flyweights as Joanne Wood takes on one of my favorites in the division in Alexa Grasso. That should be a lot of fun. I'm very keen to see my fellow Kiwi, Kai Kara France, coming hot off the heels of his round one knockout over Cody Garbrandt. That should be a great fight. He is up against the highly favoured Askar Askarov, and that is a contest that I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on this weekend. I'll also be watching the card alongside JJ this Sunday. We'll be going through thoughts and comments, giving our thoughts. Uh, potentially, we'll just watch the prelims and give a bit of an update at the end, although it is the first United States fight night with crowds, so maybe I will go through the prelims. We're working on different formats uh, depending on how large the card is. And speaking of large cards, myself and JJ also went through and did a thoughts and comments this past weekend 
for the entire London card. You can go back and listen to that at some point, just giving our thoughts and comments on each of those fights. Now, today is part one of my premium predictions. I'm going to be going through the preliminary card. Going to be a lot of hyped up fighters who've been fighting the majority of their fights in front of A, either very small or no crowds, or B, the Apex. So they are going to be really, really hyped up. So are the fans in Columbus. They have been waiting a long time to have the UFC back. And look, I am really excited now seeing some fans roll back in for the fight nights. All of a sudden, some really, really big fights, some really, really big cards are starting to be put together. So very exciting times in the UFC. And as far as my preliminary predictions, what better place than to start with our featherweight opener between Luis Saldana and Bruno Souza. Now, in terms of the favorite, it was dead even in the market, but now Souza has taken a slight edge. He is the very, very narrow favorite. Now, Saldana is a Dana White Contender Series graduate, class of 2020. He knocked out Vince Murdoch, who, if you don't know him, or maybe the name rings a bell, he was on the most recent season of The Ultimate Fighter. He was on Team Ortega. Unfortunately, he hasn't really been able to get a go inside the UFC, but he did have that contender series loss up against this man, Luis Saldana, who will be competing on the card this weekend. Now, Saldana beat Jordan Griffin by decision in his official UFC debut, and then in his sophomore appearance in August 2021, the 31-year-old lost via unanimous decision to Austin Lingo, who has a 9-1 record, so... Still a pretty high level of competition. Luis Saldana, I'm really intrigued to see what he can offer this weekend. Now, it was, if you include, sorry, can't speak English, uh, Dana White's Contender Series, then Saldana has a 2-1 and one UFC record, but his official UFC record stands at one win and one loss. As for Bruno Souza, his last outing was a short-notice decision loss to Melsic Bagdasarian, and Malsik, he's someone who has extremely heavy hands for someone in his division. He's only a small fella, but gee whiz, he packs a punch. He's known for ultra-quick finishes. And look, Bruno Souza on short notice went the whole three rounds. I had Bagdasarian winning by knockout. And look, I, I was convinced Bagdasarian would win. But the takeaway from that in terms of Bruno Souza, I was very impressed. Look. Bagdasarian is a very much a knockout artist, so highly impressed by Bruno Souza in what I saw in that fight, especially given that it was a short notice appearance. Now, Bruno is a Lyoto Machida protege. I'm a huge fan of Lyoto Machida. That was when I first properly started. Just now, when Lyoto was a light heavyweight champion, uh, that was like I'd been watching for a couple of years, and that was I was quite young. And just starting to really get into the UFC. So Leona Machida is a legend. Someone that I've had a huge amount of respect for over his career. And now Bruno Souza is his protege. So definitely one to keep an eye out for. I was highly impressed with just him not getting knocked out by Melsic Bagdasarian. But now the test this weekend is for Bruno Souza to actually come out and respond with a win. Which he's no stranger to a victory. Heading into that short notice UFC debut, he actually was on a 10-fight win streak. So 
I have a lot of confidence that Bruno Sosa can get back to his winning ways. And I even felt that way when he was initially the underdog at the very start when the odds came out. But Luis Saldana, like, in terms of levels to the game, these two are very close together. So I think it's going to be an evenly matched contest. And both of these guys are going to be hoping to avoid a second straight loss. Now, when looking at these styles and trying to work out kind of how this matchup may play out, Saldana is a stoppage specialist. So, look, Bruno Sosa, I was very impressed, as I've said numerous times, with how he performed against another highly credentialed, not in terms of championships, but in terms of just coming out and getting very fast knockout finishes. Bruno Sosa was able to not get knocked out or like significantly dazed by Melsic. So look, Saldana is a stoppage specialist, but I think Bruno Sosa has shown that he has the tools to be able to combat that. Now, in terms of Bruno Sosa's style, look, he's very much a grappler. He's more of a decision specialist, looks for the submissions and such. Uh, but yeah, I think if he's going to get it done, then finish-wise, maybe submission. But I think overall, Bruno Sosa by decision was the way that I was leaning to going into this weekend, but sometimes even throughout a podcast, I'll change my tip. I'm still always open uh, to ideas and yeah, changing my tip. I'm, I never set 100% unless yeah, I'm very confident. This one is one that I'm not super confident on. The opening fights of cards are always kind of tricky to predict, um, but this one I'm hoping I can get it right, get the card off to a great start. Now Bruno Sosa, nicknamed the Tiger, only 26 years old, fair to say that his best years are ahead of him. The Brazilian represents Machida team, as I said, trained by Leoto Machida. As for Luis Saldana, as I said, he is a stoppage specialist, 14 stoppages from 15 wins. The Fight Ready product has an overall professional record of 15 and 7, so a bit of a mixed bag for Saldana. And in terms of his UFC record, as I said before, 1-1. One and one. Saldana's overall professional record, in terms of his methods of victories, he has 9 knockout wins, 5 submissions, and 1 decision. Now, looking at his record and seeing that Saldana is a stoppage specialist, the first thing I looked at then was, how many times has Souza been stopped in his professional career? Well, here's the stat. Bruno Souza has not been stopped across 12 pro fights. Now, he's had two decision losses, but Saldana only one decision win. As I said, 14 of his 15 wins have been stoppages, and in 12 fights, Bruno Souza has not been stopped. So that makes this a very intriguing opener, and it definitely makes it kind of tricky to work out exactly how this is going to play out stylistically. Overall, Bruno Souza has a record of 10 and 2, and he's more of a decision specialist. So, again, I love the matches that the UFC put together. They're always very well thought out, and usually their opponents, they reflect each other well, or not reflect, probably not the, definitely not the right word, compliment. They complement each other well, uh, and usually they make for great stylistic matchups. This one, definitely the same. A guy who is very good. At not like no one's been able to stop him, not even Melsic back to Sarian, who I thought definitely would have been able to get the job done. Saldana, look, he could very well get a big finish here. There's going to be a crowd. Uh, there are a lot of kind of variables that 
I can't calculate while doing my research as to exactly how this is going to play out. But as I said, just a great stylistic matchup. Now there's going to be a sizable reach advantage for Saldana, so we'll see if he can use that to his advantage. But in terms of my prediction for this opening featherweight fight, look, I think this has potential to be one of the great fights across the card. And I'm going to be taking Bruno the Tiger Souza by decision. I think he can get it done. Look, Luis Saldana is a very high level or decent level opponent for him. And he's going to be chasing the stoppage finish over Souza. Whilst Souza may be trying for the submission finish. But I think overall he's going to back himself across the 15 minutes and get it done. So I'm going to take Bruno Souza. And with that being said, it's time to move on. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, do not forget to follow us over on Instagram at NotJustASportsReport. The latest thing we released, I was eating what has been branded as the world's hottest corn chips. Don't quote me on that officially. I haven't done my research. There might be one hotter out there, but they have been branded as the world's hottest corn chips. Ate those, gave some Australian football tips. So look, if you're not into Australian football, not into spice, then we can stick to the UFC, but If you like some spicy content, then follow us over on Not Just The Sports Report on Instagram. And look, there'll be some movie reviews coming out soon. Plenty of other stuff, but a lot of UFC as well. At least two UFC podcasts a week. We've got the thoughts and comments this weekend. So much more. But with that being said, let's move on up the card now to our second fight on this UFC Columbus card. Is flyweight action between Mateus Nicolau and David, or known as The Undertaker, David Dvorak. It's going to be a great fight at 125 pounds. And we've got Slight Fave Dave. He is the slight favorite. The Undertaker, people, look, they can't go past him. They are very confident that he can get the job done. And there's a top 10 position at stake in terms of the flyweight division. And more than that, there's an opportunity for a title push across this year and maybe like next year so probably 2022 2023 if they can keep a high enough level of activity then they can really push toward that title fight and there are a couple of flyweights higher up the card the kiwi kai kara france and askar askarov who are right in that title hunt so look it's a great night to be fighting at flyweight both of these guys definitely on the radar in terms of an eventual title shot now we've got Dave Dvorak ranked number 10 and Nikolau is the number 7 ranked. So the Jackson's MMA product, he gets to have an opportunity really to win and move closer to a spot in the top 5. Both of these guys top 10 athletes though. So these are the money matchups in terms of making a title push. It's beating guys from the top 10 and then eventually moving through and defeating guys that are in the top 5, top 3 and then yeah really work your way toward the title shot. Having a look at Mateus Nicolau and the 29-year-old Brazilian is 5-1 and one in the UFC overall. As for Dvorak, he is on a 16-fight winning streak. 16 straight wins for Dvorak, the Chechnian. Uh, unbelievable. Both of these guys look like unreal prospects, but the 16, 16 sorry, straight wins is definitely... I think what tips the scales in favor of Dvorak when it comes to who the favorite is in this fight. But Nikolaou is the higher ranked and 
this fight is, I mean, this card, my apologies, is stacked. I know, like, there are, I don't know, it's not, like, obviously the strongest card ever, but in terms of the stylistic matchups, and I think just overall the fights and the card that we're going to get to witness, I think this is going to be highly entertaining from the very first fight all the way up to the last. And, I mean, the perfect evidence of that is having two top 10 ranked competitors on the second fight of the card. That's, like... There's going to be the crowd. It's going to have a real special feel to it. Will it be as special as the London card? Look, probably not. But it's still significant. It's a return to crowds. It's a return to big-time fight nights. And wherever you live, unless you live somewhere fucking rogue, uh, no offense to you, then the UFC more than likely are going to be bringing a fight night card to your town soon. So a lot to get excited about. And I am very excited about this matchup between Nikolau and Dvorak. It is an underrated banger, and I think it's going to be an explosive contest. Dvorak has the reach advantage, so all these little things seem to be tipping in favor of The Undertaker. He is 29 years old from the Czech Republic, representing the All Sports Academy gym. I am very keen not just for this fight, but for this whole card, as I'm sure you can probably tell. Fight nights are finally back in a big way. And look, great stylistic matchup again, just like the first one. We've got Nicolau, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, up against a guy on 16 straight wins. He just will have all that confidence, all that self-belief. And the guy just, it seems like he doesn't know how to lose stylistically I'm thinking this one might go the distance because they are so closely matched but if one of them gets a finish then definitely they accelerate their push toward a title we do know how Dana White feels about exciting fighters exciting stoppages so no doubt look they're going to fast track their development and fast track themselves a bit closer toward either a title fight or a fight against someone who is right in the conversation Uh, A decision win still definitely moves them up the ladder, but as always, a big finish is going to just move you up the rankings that little bit faster. On to both men's overall professional records. Dvorak has an overall record of 20 wins and 3 losses. Sorry for doing those ones into the microphone. And overall, Dvorak has a UFC record of 3 wins, 0 losses. So 20 and 3 for Dvorak overall. 3-0 in the UFC. In terms of wins, looking at who's got knockout wins, Nicolau has four knockouts from 20 outings. So, look, it's not his specialty. Dvorak has eight knockouts from 23 fights. So, if someone's going to get the knockout, just looking at uh, what's on paper, and as I said, there are a lot of variables when it comes to studying and predicting fights, but it seems like Dave is twice more likely to, uh, twice as likely to get the knockout win. But it's interesting. I like looking at all these things, like looking at their knockout losses. Dave's only been knocked out once across 23 fights, whilst two from two knockout losses for Nicolau. So Nicolau's two losses on his record have both been knockouts. Dvorak, as I said, twice as likely to get the knockout. So if there's a stoppage here, I think... One bet I'd be thinking about is for Dvorak to get the stoppage, maybe even double chance, knockout, or submission. Uh, But Dave, he can get it done in a lot of ways. He is capable of decisions, but 
He's a stoppage specialist himself. Dvorak has 16 stoppages from 20 wins, 8 knockouts, 8 submissions, 4 decisions. So I think if you want to go for Dvorak, go for him to get the finish, maybe double chance as I said. If you like Nikola, then maybe more likely to have a look at decision. Having a look at how Dvorak has lost, he's lost once by knockout, twice by decision. And having a look at Nikolao and his record, look, he's still able to get the stoppages. 9 stoppages in 17 wins, with 8 decision wins though. So I think definitely most likely if Nikolao wins, it's going to be by decision. Dvorak is a very high level opponent. So yeah, that is kind of my read on it. Nearly 50% of Nikolaou's wins have been by decision. So, yeah, I think the decision for Nikolaou if he wins, stoppage for Dvorak if he is to get the win. Overall, Nikolaou has four knockout wins, five submissions, and eight decisions. In terms of my prediction for this really interesting flyweight clash, I'm going to be taking Mateus Nikolaou, the underdog, and as I said, look, if, I, if he gets it done, I think it's by decision. Very, very close I was to going Dvorak by knockout slash submission. Like, I would have gone a double chance bet. Probably would have gone knockout if I were to pick an exact method. But I, I'm not going for Dvorak in this one. I'm, I'm very, very hesitant to go against him. But I like Mateus Nikola. I like what he has to offer. And I think he can grind out a very close decision win. So I'm going to be taking Mateus Nikolaou by decision. I think this could be a fight of the night contender. Uh, but there are plenty of great fights on this card. So let's move on now, shall we? To our next fight on the card. Women's flyweight action with one of my favorite prospects in the women's flyweight division. Other than Casey O'Neill, who is my other favorite prospect. It is the French woman... Manon Fior up against Jennifer Meyer, who is a very high-level opponent for her. Manon Fior has gone 3-0 since debuting in the UFC. As I said, she is one of my main prospects, one of my two favorites in the women's flyweight division overall. Had a great debut campaign in 2021. Three wins, no losses. Had two stoppage wins over Victoria Leonardo and Tabitha Ricci. And then Fior had a unanimous decision win last time out over Myra Bueno Silva. Look, Fior is very physically imposing. Imposing? That's not a word. Uh, physically imposing. She has a karate style, which is really hard to study for, hard to get a read. And her striking is very, very quality. So if she's hard to get a read on and you're not sure what way she's going to go, all of a sudden, boom, you drop your guard. And she can put your lights out most definitely. Women's flyweight isn't a division known for hectic knockouts, although correct me if I'm wrong. I believe Meatball Molly versus Lu Luana Carolina in, on the London card. That was a women's flyweight card with one of the fucking craziest knockouts we've seen in a long time. So who, who knows? Maybe we will get a big finish. And if there is a big finish in this one, look, I think it's going to be Manon Fior getting the knockout. But Jennifer Meyer is extremely durable. And look, the women's flyweight, it's a puzzling division because Valentina Shevchenko is such a dominant champion. But that's where we need the exciting narrative of some emerging female stars. Casey O'Neill definitely won. And I feel the exact same way about Manon Fior. These are two exciting, fresh matchups for Valentina. 
that, you know, make the flyweight division better overall. So I think Jennifer Meyer and Manon Fior is going to be a great contest to watch this weekend. And look, Fior, as I said, a fresh face. Jennifer Meyer has been a fixture of the division for quite some time now. And look, Maya, it's been a mixed bag. It's, she's alternated results in her last six performances. Now, having a look at her last six in depth, going backwards from her most recent outing, Maya most recently at the start of this year lost to Catelyn Chikagian for a second time by decision. So two of her losses in her last six were to Chikagian. Sorry, I just had a lot of energy drink and my bloody lost my brain. Uh, oh, bit of a toot there. How we go? How we fucking going, mate? Uh, anyway, back to the fight. My goodness. Two of the six losses to Chukagan by decision. She had a decision win over Jessica I. Maya had a decision loss to Valentina for the title. Went all five rounds with the champion, though. Looked, you know, pretty good comparatively to how Valentina's made a lot of her opponents look. Uh, she had a submission win. This is Maya, round one against Joanne Wood, who was in the co-main event of this card. And Maya had a decision win over Roxanne Modafferi. She definitely isn't the only one to have done that. But shout out to Roxanne Modafferi, the happy warrior. Hopefully she's happy in retirement. Plenty of fights, a lot of experience. Just like Jennifer Meyer, who currently sits in number four in terms of the top 15 in the women's flyweight division, whilst Manon Fior is 13th, but a win here, no doubt, puts her in the top 10. Probably close to the top 5, to be honest. So, very interesting fight going into this weekend. Top 3 chance if Maya can defeat Manon Fior here. Sorry, I'm trying to remember what I'm doing. And now, on to my personal thoughts. I am very high, as you can probably tell, on Manon Fior. Uh, so, yeah, don't get me wrong. Don't think I'm... Uh, yeah, don't think anything, but I'm high on Manon Fior and her abilities. So, no doubt, I think she is going to be an incredible talent going forward. And, look, I think she can be a future champion. The only thing is, I can't see anyone beating Valentina. But, look, if Manon Fior sticks around, then anything is possible. Stylistically, it's going to be a very talented wrestler, but also a great striker in Jennifer Meyer up against that unique karate style and quality striking of Manon Fior. Having a look at their profiles, Jennifer Meyer, 33 years old. Sorry, I know you should never... I guess I didn't ask a woman her age. It was on Wikipedia. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's what I got told. Never look in a woman's handbag. And I was like, okay, I'll fucking try not to do that then. Uh, and never ask a woman her age or her weight. Uh, but look... Who knows, that's... But anyway, she's 33 years old, from Brazil. Maya is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and she is also a black belt in Muay Thai, so highly credentialed. That is why she is the number four in the flyweight top 15. Maya will also be representing the Shoot Box Academy gym. Now let's move on to Manon Fior, known as The Beast. The 32-year-old is from France, representing the boxing squad and she is a karate black belt so some real fun black belt level action going on this weekend right at the start of our prelims card so that just gives you an indication that this is going to be a great card 
overall, like very, very strong card. Fight Nights are back in that way too because some of the Apex ones, just overall the lineup sometimes can be a little bit lackluster with some real bangers littered throughout. But it looks like they're really starting to hit their straps again in terms of putting on the best possible Fight Nights and pay-per-views. Looking at the advantages... I think Maya will have the grappling advantage, whilst I predict that Fior is going to have the striking advantage, and the height, reach, and power, in my opinion, tips in the scales in favor. Sorry, I don't even know what I'm bloody talking about. Uh, look, basically, what I'm trying to say is Fior has the height, reach, power advantage. There we go. Got that one out there. Maya will have the experience advantage, and she's definitely going to have something to prove. It's going to take her. I guess she's closer to a spot. Like, this win is going to prove what she needs to prove. But basically, Fior, as I said, a fresh face. More likely if she gets on a run to get a title shot than Maya is, just because she's already faced the champion. And look, Maya losing to Chikagan twice is a bit of a red flag. I don't know if Chikagan is even going to stay with the UFC. They said they might not re-sign her because she's just been winning the majority of her fights by decision. But look, Maya, I think if Chikagan does stay in the UFC, I'd like to see Maya beat Chikagan before she gets a chance to fight Valentina just because Chikagan is ranked above her. I know that fight hasn't been the most exciting, so I doubt they'll go that route again. But if Maya defeats Manon Fior here, then I think that does set up a great narrative if she does eventually challenge Valentina for the belt once again because she did go all five rounds. And look, that's a better narrative than like, okay, Valentina's definitely winning. It's like, look, Valentina may win this, but is she going to get the finish here? Maya looked as good as anyone has, if not better than everyone that's been up against Valentina at women's flyweight. So look, Maya definitely has something to prove here this weekend, as does the emerging contender Manon Fior. Having a look at their professional records, Fior has a record of eight wins and one loss whilst Maya has a record of 19 wins, 8 losses, and 1 draw. Having a look at Manon Fior's one loss in her career, that was in her first professional fight, and it was a split decision loss. So ever since then, it has been nothing but quality for Manon Fior, nothing to suggest that she's not going to be able to live up to the pretty big hype and the expectations that are now upon her in this division. That one split decision loss for Fior, that was in Cage Warriors to Leah McCourt, who has an overall record of six wins and two losses. Now Fior is riding an eight-fight win streak, with six of those eight wins coming by knockout, with two decision wins as well. So six of eight wins by knockout. Fior, no doubt, a stoppage specialist. The crowd in Columbus could spur that on with the vibe and the energy, and look, Dana White, in his comments around Catelyn Chikagan and maybe not re-signing her, even though she's in the top three, because boring's not probably the right word, because I, I don't mind decision fights at all. Like, I, I think it's just a fight. Let it play out how it plays out. But he finds it boring to some degree. So I think maybe that's going to spur them on to chase the finish here. And Fior, most likely, if she does get a finish, it is going to be a knockout. No submission wins, but six knockouts. Looking at Jennifer Meyer, six of her eight losses have been by decision, so she is extremely durable, very hard to knock out. Only one person has ever knocked her out in 28 fights. 
So, look, I think she's highly durable. Again, like, how fucking good are the stylistic matchups on this card? Overall, Jennifer Myers' losses include one knockout, one submission, and six decisions. In terms of Myers' wins, 10 of 19 by decision, so that leans me to say regardless of who wins, this is going to go the full 15 minutes. And in terms of Myers' stoppages, she's had four knockout wins and five submissions. This is another very underrated fight. Look, I'm going to be tuning in from the very start of this card. And I think for thoughts and comments, look, I may have to start from the very start because there are some great stylistic matchups. And yeah, I'm very excited to sit down and watch the card. Time to make my prediction for this woman's flyweight clash. I think you know which way I'm going to go. As I said, I am very high on Manon Fior and I'm going to take her to get it done. Look, I think she can get the knockout, but I respect Jennifer Meyer a lot. I think she has incredible ability and she's very durable with a great defensive fight IQ. So I think this is going to go the full 15 minutes. Not super confident, but that's the way I'm going to go. Taking Manon Fior over Jennifer Meyer by decision. And look, let's move on to what I'm sure is another cracking stylistic matchup. And just quickly, we do know that Valentina Shevchenko, she's going to be defending the belt very soon. The opponent skips my mind. I think it might be a row. Uh, and, and we'll need to double check that. But Valentina defending the belt soon. And look, I am excited about the flyweight division more so than ever, especially because of the couple of the names. Wow, I don't even know what that was. Uh, because a couple of the names, Casey O'Neill and Manon Fior. So look, I'm on the bandwagon. I'm on the hype train. Fior by decision. Up next is my short notice rapid pick. Uh, I'm just preparing myself. I'm really trying to get everyone's name right. This one is a bit of a challenge. We've got middleweight action between Alishkab Kuzriv and Dennis Tiliulian. Uh Yes, apologies, fellas, uh, if I butchered your names. Now, it's going to be a really intriguing contest. Obviously, Dennis is stepping up on short notice. It's going to be his UFC debut as well, with an overall record of 10 wins and 5 losses. However, Dennis has won four of his last five fights, all by knockout, so he's starting to work himself into some really good form. He is a training partner of Sean Strickland's, who is a notoriously hard sparring partner, goes just full on. So look, I think no doubt Dennis is going to be prepared for this contest, but he is facing very stiff competition in Kizriev, who is 13-0, and 0. Five knockout wins, four submission wins, and four decisions. Having a look at the profile for Kazriv, he is a Russian, 31 years old, from Team Shikshabakov. Yes, uh, as you can tell, I'm a fluent Russian speaker. Uh, sorry, that's actually probably in the current climate. Not. Uh, we can say that, though. We can say that. I can say that. And uh, now what I can also say is my rapid prediction for this middleweight clash put together on short notice. I'm going to go with Kizriev. He looks like a very real threat. And look, I'll be looking at maybe a double chance. I think he's going to get the stoppage here. But ultimately for my official podcast prediction, I'm going to take Kizriev by submission. 
And I think he's going to get a bonus here. I'm predicting he's going to get a performance of the night finish and 50k. Another bonus prediction. I think he can do it within the first round. So I'm going to take Kizriev by submission. He is a genuine prospect at 185 pounds. Now, speaking of genuine prospects, that leads me to my highlight contest on this preliminary card, at least in my view. What a great fight we have at 135 pounds coming up between bantamweight prospects Chris Gutierrez and Dinar Batgaral. Now, look, I've got to credit UFC as well. In terms of my narratives at the start of each fight, just a few of the points I want to make. I always suss their fight-by-fight previews that they put out. Those are really insightful, a great way to get some information. And I just want to give credit where credit's due, uh, or due, sorry, not Jewish religion. Uh, UFC.com, thank you for your fight-by-fight previews. Sherdog.com, thank you for your analysis on all the fighters. I'll try to give credit as wherever I can. Uh, look, the UFC, a lot of my storyline-based and narrative, as well as obviously watching myself and forming my own opinions, but just for little tad bit, tidbits of information that are helpful to know, uh, definitely credit out to UFC.com, which is where I've based some of my narratives for this fight. Uh, now, one personal one I just wrote down myself was the leg kicks from Chris Gutierrez. It's a major part of his offense, and look, he chops the leg up really well. Dinar Bakgarel is a knockout specialist. He's been on a tear as of late, and the best way to stop him, I think, is to chop up that calf. So Gutierrez with those calf kicks, very, very quality competitor. And Gutierrez versus Bakgarel, potential fight of the night contender, two standouts of the division, and the winner of this, no doubt, set for a big push. Chris Gutierrez is 8-1-1 and over his last 10, whilst Bart Garal, it's been just as good a run for him, but they've had different journeys. Now, Bart Garal lost in his UFC debut back in 2019, but since then, the Mongolian has been on fire. Three consecutive first-round stoppages for Dinar Bart Garal, less than three minutes of combined cage time, and wow, like, he's basically, I'm almost lost for words. He is like a major contender from what I've seen from Dinar Bakgaral. And when you watch people and you say like, all right, this person is going to be someone I really think can make a big run. Dinar Bakgaral is exactly that. And Chris Gutierrez is the perfect test for him. If he beats Gutierrez, then I think all of a sudden a lot more people are going to start taking notice of the name Dinar Bakgaral, but he's already getting a lot of momentum behind him. This win in 2022 would really set him up, though. The winner of this begins their title push, essentially. Look, they're not right in the picture by any means, but this is just the beginning, and the winner of this, the trajectory of their career, is going to skyrocket. And look, Dinar Bakgaral may be on a roll of first-round knockouts, and yeah, that is his specialty, but... Chris Gutierrez is very experienced, and he has never been knocked out. So I feel like I say this each fight, but like, how good are the stylistic matchups? Just casting my eye over the rankings, which, talking about a title push, I mean, that's the essential kind of element. Both of these guys floating just outside of the top 15 
in my opinion, no doubt in my mind, actually. The winner of this fight should enter the top 15. You've got Marlon Marias and Rafael Asunza, who, look, they haven't been in the best form, especially Marias. There are a lot of question marks over him. So I think the winner of this fight will enter the top 15. I would like to see the winner get a ranked opponent next. Or Jack Shaw, who's coming off that decision win. And his name, rightfully, could be in that top 15 as well. So things heating up. Bantamweight, in my opinion, one of, if not the most stacked division in the whole of the UFC. Always great fights, and there are a hell of a lot of contenders. So very excited about 135 going forward. And as I've said, I think the winner of this enters the top 15. As for both fighters' styles, El Guapo Chris Gutierrez is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt, whilst Storm Denar Bakkeral is a kickboxing specialist, also nicknamed the Mongolian Murderer. I tell you what, look, if someone said to me, here you go, do you want his, you know, a contract offer, would you like to go and fight this guy named the Mongolian Murderer? Look, you'd have to pay me a fair bit of money, like, that in itself is a bit of a head fuck when you're like, all right, who am I fighting? It's like, okay, this guy, a Mongolian murderer, especially if you're from the United States or like Australia, you know, and you don't have that much info on Mongolia or what it's like, you'd be like, holy shit, I, you know, I haven't even been to Mongolia. I, I don't know what it's like there. And this guy's the Mongolian murderer. Like, this guy sounds fucking crazy. I don't know. What, I, you know, it was fucking crazy shit. So the Mongolian murderer, look, let me just say once more, I don't think I would fight in a cage against a guy called the Mongolian murderer. But hell, if you can put that win on your resume, then fuck, that's a big time win right there. Now, having a look at the advantages, this isn't really an advantage. This is just the age. But Chris is 30, whilst Bhatgaral is 32. In terms of the striking advantage, I think Bhatgaral has the edge Height, Chris Gutierrez has the height advantage. He also has the grappling advantage, in my opinion. Both are super durable, so it looks like this will go the 15 minutes. But the most telling statistic is the reach advantage, and it's going to be a significant reach advantage for the Mongolian murderer. And yeah, like, it's it's going to be a big one. This one definitely, I think, can be the fight of the night. But Garal, in terms of his wins and losses, has a 12-2 record. But Garal has 8 of his 12 wins by knockout. Pretty much all of them emphatic knockouts as well. Overall, But Garal's wins, 8 knockouts, 2 submissions, and 2 decisions. So that is 10 stoppages from 12 wins. No doubt the Mongolian murderer is he's out you know, with serious intent to get the job done every time. He has an overall record of 3-1 and one inside the UFC. And fucking hell, the three wins for Bakkeral in the UFC, all significantly impressive first round knockouts on the biggest stage in mixed martial arts. In terms of Bakkeral's losses, he lost, as I said earlier, in his UFC debut by decision. And he's had two decision losses overall, so... Neither of these fighters have been knocked out. This no doubt is going to be a fight where we do see a lot of action on the feet. Although I do imagine that Gutierrez is going to look to take this one to the mat 
just given how dangerous Denar Bakaral is on the feet. Key statistics going into this fight as well that leads me to believe it's destined to go the distance is that neither fighter has been knocked out across their combined professional career of 37 fights. So 37 fights between them. No one's been able to knock either of them out. Far out. There is a chance for one of them to make a huge statement. If either of them can get a knockout win, definitely in the rankings. Like, as I said earlier, a stoppage win gets you a lot further than a decision win does in the UFC and making a push for a title or a big pay-per-view fight. Look, these guys, this is a big fight night. It's their first one on United States soil outside of the apex since the COVID pandemic. It is a big deal. Dana White, in terms of the ones with like the crowds, there were plenty of Apex ones that have just gone that he could have easily scheduled a lot of these competitors on this card for. He's decided that these fighters are worthy to put on an outstanding show on a significant card. So that's what makes this a great fight. Every fight on this card deserves to be on this card. And yeah, as I said, there's kind of levels to it. And no disrespect to those who've been placed in the Apex Sometimes timing, scheduling, you still want big fights in the apex as well. But look, when Dana White said, who are two fighters in the bantamweight division who are going to put on one hell of a show for a hot crowd on the first fight night card back on US soil outside of the apex since the COVID pandemic? And it has been a long ass time now, hasn't it? So very significant to be back in Columbus, Ohio, and Danal Bakarel and Chris Gutierrez more than worthy of entering the octagon on such a big show. At the professional record of Gutierrez, Chris has an overall record of 17 wins, 4 losses and 2 draws. Looking at the methods of win for Chris Gutierrez, or wins, my apologies, 7 knockouts, 9 decisions and 1 submission. In terms of losses for Gutierrez, never been knocked out. He has been submitted once, but 3 of his 4 losses by decision. Overall record for Gutierrez in the UFC is five wins, one loss, and one draw. As far as my prediction for what I think is going to be one of the highlight fights, well, I've put it as my highlight fight, the highlight fight on this prelims, maybe even the whole card. My prediction head-to-head, I'm going to now but Garal. I've struggled. Look, I think this is going to go to decision, but Life is about taking risks. I'm going to take one here. I'm going to go for Denar Bakgaral to hand Chris Gutierrez his first ever career knockout loss. This one is a big risk. I'd probably stay away from it if you are betting. But look, I'm going to take a risk here. And in this bantamweight fight, I'm going to take Denar Bakgaral over Chris Gutierrez by knockout. Up next is a women's bantamweight contest that, look, it's going to be pivotal to the direction of the future of the division. We have got Sarah McMahon up against Carol Rosa. Now, McMahon is ranked number nine in the division. Carol Rosa, the 12th ranked women's bantamweight. So a top 10 spot is at stake here. And look, McMahon is a veteran, 41 years of age. Rosa is the emerging contender. And I am a huge fan of Carol Rosa. No doubt I'm a fan of McMahon as well, but I see big things in the future of Carol Rosa. Now, McMahon, she is an Olympic silver medalist winner. 
at the Olympics, which I just said, but you know what? Let's just roll with it. She was an Olympic wrestler. Did I mention that Sarah McMahon is an Olympian that competed at the Olympics? She's also competed in the UFC for quite some time now. And Sarah McMahon, her overall record, five wins and six losses. Now, she has come up against some very high-quality opposition. But look, McMahon is 41. Time is of the essence. She is ranked number nine. She has chance a chance for one last push. But she has a young, really supreme athlete who is chasing a position inside the top 10. Every matchup on this card is just brimming with fucking exciting potential. And yeah, I'm actually just so excited to sit down. All of them great stylistic fights. All of them have great narratives. All of them are important in terms of the landscape of the UFC going forward. And with the greatest respect to everyone on the roster... Sometimes you get a lower tier fighter up against a lower tier fighter and it's like, look, the only importance there is for them to try and get some momentum, but like overall, nothing's really moving the needle. All of these fights have a very high level of importance. Now, Carol Rosa overall in the UFC, she has a 4-0 and record, so unblemished record inside of the UFC. She's going to be looking to go 5-0 and inside the UFC up against Sarah McMahon this weekend. Now, for McMahon, the American is an elite wrestler, 41 years old and representing Team Alpha Male, whilst Carol Rosa is the Brazilian, 27 years old, from Paraná Vale Tudo. Sharing my personal perspective on advantages, well, this one's not personal perspective, this is just a fact. Height advantage to Sarah McMahon, and the reach, well... Rose is going to have over a three centimeter reach advantage. I'm from Australia, so look, inches plus 500, minus 500. Uh, look, I just go, sometimes I'm just like, eh, centimeters. Talk, talk me a language that I can understand. G'day, mate. I'm actually from New Zealand, so how about that? Polish heritage. This is not my heritage podcast, though. This is the UFC preview and predictions. Back to my perceived advantages. Power advantage, Carol Rosa. Striking advantage, Carol Rosa. The wrestling to McMahon. And the speed to Carol Rosa. Now, looking at their last fight, Sarah McMahon's last fight was January last year, UFC 257. She was submitted by Juliana Pena, who then went on to defeat Amanda Nunes in one of the great moments of the 2021 calendar. One of the great moments in UFC history. McMahon's last loss to Juliana Pena. And for Carol Rosa, her last win was a decision win over Bethe Carrera. Sorry, I butchered her name. Bethe Carrera. Uh, she retired after that fight. Carol Rosa on the up, though. It is a six-fight win streak for Carol. She has won seven of her last eight. As for Sarah McMahon, sorry if I'm wheezing a bit. I had a cigarette if my voice is like, I don't know. Sorry, I'm talking a lot of shit, but yeah. My voice is wheezing. I don't know if that's coming across into your ear holes, but I apologize. I'm just trying to get a roll, get this out there, and look, let me wheeze just this one podcast. My usual thing is like sometimes I'll go on tangents or wheeze or whatever the fuck. I'm genuinely wheezing like a madman. I'll try to keep this tangent short, but yeah, prelims, there's a place for tangents and wheezing. The main card, I usually edit a lot more. And 
Look, in the main card podcast, if I'm wheezing too heavily, I'll, I'll sort myself out. I'll, maybe I'll have to go on YouTube for a bit and just look at wheezing prevention techniques. But I think I'm good now. So let's get back into the fighting while I'm not wheezing. Sorry for that two-minute interlude. I might have to put a timestamp on that just so people can skip that fucking nonsense. Sorry for that. Uh, let me find my way. Sarah McMahon. Three losses in her last five appearances. Overall, Sarah McMahon's professional record, 12 wins and six losses. So not the greatest uh, record just on paper. And for McMahon, she has had 50% of her wins come by way of decision. Six decision victories, five submissions and only one knockout for McMahon. In terms of her losses... McMahon's had four of her six losses come via submission, so that is a bit of a red flag, and I guess if you want to find a weakness area in the game of Sarah McMahon, it's her submission defense. Now, she's had four submission losses, one knockout, and one decision. Six out of the seven, uh, sorry, I'm literally losing my way English-wise, six out of seven times that uh, McMahon has gone to a decision result, she has won. So seven times in her career she's gone to decision, six times she's won. If this fight goes to the distance, fucking hell, my English. I'm just going to push on. This is the prelims. I respect the prelims. I'm pumped for it, as you can tell. Uh, But we allow a little bit of room for error, or at least I do. Sorry. If you're still listening right now, I'm just going to go back to the fight. I'm sure some people have tuned out. So six out of seven decision results. McMahon has had five stoppages in six losses. So a bit of a concern about her durability, especially at 41 years of age. As for Carol Rosa, she is 15 and three overall. Two of her three losses have been by decision, uh, by submission, my apologies. Far out. Uh, so yeah, submission is definitely the big danger for both of them. And I think, yeah, for Carol Rosa, this is a major danger fight. I'm expecting her to win. But I think Sarah McMahon, look, one of them could submit the other. It's going to be a very close fight. For Carol Rosa, her wins, 9 of 15, have been by decision. She's had four knockout wins, two submissions, nine decisions. So I'll try to keep this one brief. Very sorry for the, that was the heaviest tangent I've been on in a while. So let me just get to the prediction to this one. I'm going to be taking Carol Rosa, who I'm a huge fan of, over Sarah McMahon by decision. I think this one's going to be a very tough contest over the full 15 minutes. But ultimately, I have a lot of faith in Carol Rosa. So I'm going to be taking Carol Rosa by decision. And that leads me to the final fight of part one of this preview and predictions. I'm going to keep this one tangent free. It is our featured prelim in the welterweight division. Neil Magny up against Max Payne Griffin. Let's go. Zero tangents. One push to turn my mic on so I can hear myself. Uh, Wheeze monitor. Now, Neil Magny up against Max Griffin. This is a very, very great welterweight fight. Max Payne Griffin on a late career resurgence. 36 years old, but really coming into the best form of his career up against Neil Magny has never shied away from a challenge keen to take any fight when nobody other than really Gilbert Burns only a few people but like literally everyone's ducking from Kamzat Chimaev 
other than I guess you'd say Gilbert Burns, but Neil Magny was someone who was openly and multiple times putting his name out there. He was someone who constantly wanted to fight Chimaev. So that just tells you everything you need to know about Neil Magny. Win, lose, or draw, he just doesn't back away from a challenge. And he's still got time left to make a push. Really intriguing in terms of someone on the roster and where they stand. Because a few losses and then he kind of loses relevancy in the division. But a few wins. And look, he at least sets himself up to some really big matchups in a stacked division. For Max Payne Griffin in Columbus this weekend, he is fighting for a spot in the top 15. Up against a guy in the top 10. So... Look, Max Payne Griffin deserves this shot. He has worked really, really hard. He's coming off the back of some really quality wins. And now he gets a chance up against someone in the top 10, which immediately, if he beats someone in the top 10, does he enter the top 10? Maybe take Neil Magny's spot. He at least is definitely going to enter the top 15. So is this the biggest fight in Max Payne Griffin's career? One can definitely be led to believe that it is. Looking at Neil Magny now in his 2021 campaign. And as I said, he was one of the few putting his name forward for Kamzat, but that didn't eventuate. Magny opened last year in January. I actually bet on him to beat Michael Chiesa, but Chiesa ended up getting the unanimous decision. That was a main event as well, so went all five rounds. That was a really pivotal chance for Neil Magny to really extend himself forward and try and make that title push but he came up short then in may he came out and he got a decision win responded in really good fashion got the win over jeff neal who is a prospect but yeah he was coming off a dui having a gun and driving or whatever but he he explained himself sufficiently like when he actually explained himself and not the media narrative i was like uh i i don't know i wasn't there and i'm willing to take his account for it but Jeff Neal was in a strange headspace. Neil Magny got the win over him. As for Max Griffin, he is riding a streak of three straight wins. Griffin had a TKO win over Ramiz Brahmaj. My apologies, Ramiz Brahmaj. Then Max Griffin had a round one knockout over Song Keenan. I don't know. I think he's Korean, I believe. And it always is like, I'm like, if I haven't seen them fight, I'm pretty sure they do it. It might be Kenan's song or Keenan's song. I, the order confuses me. Sometimes they'll have the last name first. Now, when I'm actually studying for their fight or if I've seen them fight, then I know the order, but I haven't actually seen him fight. So Max Griffin knocked him out in round one. And then in Griffin's most recent performance, he got the win over the now retired Carlos Condit, a UFC legend. That was a decision win at UFC 264 in July 2021. Looking at the styles, Magny is a grappler. What, grappler? Not a grappler. Uh, He is a grappler, whilst Griffin is a kickboxer. So it's going to be interesting to see who can dictate their terms of the fight. Is it going to be a grappling-heavy contest? Is it going to be a striking-heavy contest? I believe the pace is going to be decent, but they're not going to be throwing heaps of crazy stuff. I think they're going to be measured in their striking. I do think we will see quite a bit of grappling. Um, but going forward, this is going to be a great featured prelim to really tell us where both guys stand at 175 pounds. Looking at the profiles, Neil Magny, the Haitian sensation, 
34 years old and representing the Elevation Fight Team. As for Max Payne Griffin, he is 36 years old and represents the MMA Gold Fight Team. My eagle eye, don't know why I said that, uh, over the advantages. Height and reach goes to Magni. Striking to Griffin, grappling to Magni. So that kind of slights the direction of the fight in his favor. UFC records, I actually didn't write down. But one thing I do have in front of me is both men's professional records and their methods of victories and losses. So I'll just go through them individually, and then I'm going to make my prediction for this featured prelim. Looking at Magny's record first, 33 fights overall for the number 9 ranked welterweight, 25 wins and 8 losses for Magny. I'll look at his losses first. 4 submission losses, so 4 from 8, 50% of his losses have come by way of decision. He has also been stopped six times from eight losses. So a very interesting one could be Max Payne Griffin by stoppage. But then I can see him by decision. Like, I think if you're going to go Max Payne Griffin, although it's not the best odds, maybe decision, but it's hard to tell how to go. So I'd probably say overall just go head to head. Magny's losses, eight of them, four by submission, two knockouts and two decision losses. As for Magni's record in terms of wins, sorry, I said that fucking, I'm just going to keep going. 25 wins overall for Magni, 15 of 25 wins by decision, no doubt his specialty. In terms of stoppages, seven knockouts, only three submissions, so if he's going to get the stoppage, then probably by knockout, but I think this fight's going to go the distance. I think if I was to make a bet, which I probably will, I would say this fight is going to go the distance. Magni with 15 decision wins. Now I'm just going to take a quick look at Max Payne Griffin's record. Excuse me, just quickly pulling up his profile. I said I wasn't going to go on any tangents, so look, I'm not going to go on any side quests here. Max Payne Griffin, 26 fights in his career, 18 and 8 record. 7 of 8 losses for Payne Griffin by decision, so... There you go. Another great narrative in terms of the stylistic matchup. You've got a guy, seven of eight decision losses. Or seven of eight losses by decision. Sorry, it's actually at 1 a.m. here. I'm fully, wheels are falling off. So in terms of the way he usually loses, almost exclusively has lost by decision. And fucking Magni has almost, not almost, but he has very much dominated decision-wise. So going to be a great skill contest that fuck as i said prelims just gonna keep going i'm just being a bit ridiculous right now now griffin has had nine knockout wins so 50 percent of his wins by knockout he's had seven decision wins himself which kind of leans me toward my theory that this one is going to go the distance and griffin has had two submission wins so that's been the way that magni's lost the most uh griffin doesn't seem as poised to take advantage of that as much as Magni is poised to take advantage of Griffin's tendency to lose by decision. So he's very hard to stop. He's been knocked out once across 26 fights and he has never been submitted. This is Max Griffin. So I think this one is going to go the distance. And as far as my prediction for this welterweight featured prelim, 
I'm going to go with Neil Magny by decision. I think it'll go the distance. Magny by decision over Max Payne Griffin. I'm going to wrap this up rather quickly because I've been pretty fucking random. I know it's now I'm going full back to 2007, checking out words like random. Uh, but yeah, wrapping it up quickly. Neil Magny by decision in the featured prelim. I'm going to go onto the main card next. That one always edited a bit more tangent-free for the most part. And yeah, I'm going to really focus heavily on some of these great fights that we have coming up on the main card. But I think I've done it justice of how good this preliminary card's been. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you had, as I said earlier, then follow us on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report. Up next, I'll have my main card preview and predictions. But for the time being, it is late. So I'm going to wrap it up. I have a Survivor podcast to move on to before bed. So until the main card preview and predictions, take care.